This episode is brought to you by Auth0. That's Auth0.com. In this episode, we get to speak with Derby player and product designer, Andrea Canistro. Frederick Philip Von Weiss. Thanks for consuming the Thunder Nerds, a conversation with the people behind the technology that love what they do and do tech good. This episode is brought to you by Auth0. Auth0 makes it easy for developers to build a custom, secure, and standard-based unified login by providing authentication and authorization as a service. Try it out today. Go to Auth0.com. Let's go ahead and welcome our guest. So we have... UI UX developer, product designer, visual storyteller, derby player, and Zombolina herself, Andrea Canistra. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us, really appreciate it. So the Zombolina is your, I read on your website that your life goal is to be an extra on a zombie movie. Is that, that's still the case? Absolutely. Definitely. Um, you know, one day it'll happen. I, I actively look for it though. Like I try and look for extras and really? you know, it's something I really actually want to do. Yeah. So have you tried one of those? Uh, I know it's not the same thing, but have you explored those zombie fun runs? I have. I've not done those, but I've looked into it. And I, there's an app too that's like a zombie uh, 5k, like couch 5k that you can do. It's like where zombies are chasing you, which I also have that app too, of course. Of course. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Where, where, did that, uh, where did that obsession come from? Well, I'm sure there's a movie or book. Um, really just, I, I grew up loving horror movies. Um, I love um, like Universal Monsters and it's really the makeup. It's like the behind the scenes. I really like how it's all put together and it's not how you, you think it is. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. ch- chocolate syrup for the blood and, you know, uh, <laughs> psycho, that kind of stuff. And I just always thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, I love that kind of the, the gore stuff, especially like the, uh, the old movies, like you're saying, like the chocolate syrup for the blood and all that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yep. like that classic, like uh, House of Wax and all those, like, you know, the, the original one. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So that's where it kind of comes from. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Does that uh, work into your, uh, your work persona at all? Uh, not at work. It's so funny. I feel like my derby and my work are super separate, especially now. And they're always so surprised if they come to, if my coworkers come to a game, a couple of them came last weekend actually. And they're always like, this is not at all what we expected you to do. Cause I'm very quiet at work very, very quiet and shy. And, and then all of a sudden I, I'm out there and I'm like hitting people and it's, it's pretty wild. So. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all have our uh, certain, you know, per- professional, if you will, if you want to employ that word personalities that will, you know, bring right. to work or, or, you know, for in front of the client, you know, everybody's human. We all have our things. So yeah. you're, um, you're joining us from the St. Pete, right? Yes. St. Pete, Florida. I've been here for about a year now. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, St. Pete is a great town. I'm in uh, Sarasota, which is not too far away from you, like about 40 minutes over the bridge. Mm-hmm. Yep. But you were actually from Chicago, right? I am from Chicago. I grew up uh, and raised there. Uh, moved here right before high school. Ah, okay, cool. So yeah. why, did you, why did you come here then? Uh, my dad's job. It was, uh, you know, family moved. Um, we moved to Sarasota, actually, 
Um, and I lived there for uh, 23 years until I moved to St. Pete. So I consider myself a little bit of a Sarasota native. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Now that I think about it, I forget that we, you know, we interviewed you at the front end design conference, which right. I think at the time it was your 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 first talk, which was really cool. So we had that honor. But I found out that we both have like a lot in common. Not yes. only are we uh, both from Sarasota, mm-hmm. we both were Ringling grads. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, we're, we're we're both Paisans, Italians. <laughs> yes. And uh, we worked at the same agency in Sarasota too. So. Yeah, it's so funny. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, so much crossover. Sarasota is like that too, though. I feel like everyone kind of you know, knows everybody there, uh, even if it's peripherally. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's it's one of those kind of um, small towns where everybody uh, yeah. kind of meshes together and knows them by uh, circumstance of either work or friends. Right. Yeah. yeah. So why don't we dive into a little bit about you about your career journey? So uh, how did you begin your uh, journey into front-end design or, or product design or where you're at now? So I'm going to go way back because okay. I'm fully self-taught when it comes to um, uh, development. And I, when I was, um, when I just moved here, I was 14 and um, didn't have any friends. My sister and I, uh, I have a twin and we just started watching Nick at Night and the monkeys was on. And it's like this weird TV show from the late 60s and we desperately wanted to have a fan website like that was it was a thing we had like dial up AOL and there were these teen girls on the internet with weird monkeys fan sites and we had to have one and so I made one I was 14 I had no idea what I was doing but I opened up notepad and started reading other people's code and figuring it out and then you know eventually you know went over to CSS garden and did the whole thing there and um, just taught myself and then I, I got a bootleg copy of Photoshop 3.5 and it just kind of moved, went from there. It was really weird because I didn't, I didn't seek out to become a designer or a developer at the time. I was like, I just have to have the best monkeys website ever. That was all it was. <laughs> and so that. I did whatever I could to make that happen. And then it kind of took off from there and I went to art school and here I am. So There had to be a monkeys episode with zombies in it. No, there wasn't. And what was really funny, I found huh. my uh, website on the um, the Wayback Machine, like recently. I, I was really curious if it still existed. And we named our website after an episode that was named after like uh, a slang term for pot. And at 14, I had no idea. And so, and our parents did not, I, I don't know if they just didn't know or if they like had no idea, but our web- website was called The Frotus Room and we just had no idea. We're these like <laughs> 14 year olds with our sassy monkeys website maybe they did but they didn't say anything they just thought it was adorable maybe that's yes definitely that's exactly what happened (laughs) but yeah it was just really it was a a fun experience and um and I think it really uh made me realize just how um, accessible it can be to teach yourself online um especially now it's even more so now but if you there's a will, there's a way. I needed that monkey site. <laughs> what, what was the domain name so we could find it on the Wayback Machine? Oh, I Provide a link. It was a GeoCities website. <laughs> this is how old I am. It was a GeoCities website. And I found it by like Googling something or like I put something in the Wayback Machine and I found it. We were, had a link on the official monkeys website. Like they had a links page. 
and they what? put like the, the monkey twins. We, were, we call ourselves the monkey twins. They had a link to it. And so that's how I found it. Again, I, I would have to look it up. It's really funny. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Like, you actually had a little link. On, you guys yeah. must have like went apeshit. Oh, like, ah! Yeah. And then, yeah, saw them in concert, the whole nine yards. It's just so embarrassing, but funny. And I own it and it is what it is. So Yeah, no, that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Is Sarah with us yet? I don't know. Can you <gasps> hear me? Yes. Yes. There's Sarah. <laughs> I've been quiet because I didn't want to like be disappointed again. So, all right. <laughs> I have no idea. I just restarted and everything was fine. It's awesome. I think it was because I took my sweatshirt off at the last second and I did something to my computer. I just couldn't handle it. It was the static Wait. electricity. You know what it could have been? I have a lot of problems with this machine and static electricity. It's all physics. Makes a lot of sense. So physics. sorry about that. I ruined it. Ruined it. <laughs> you don't ruin anything, Sarah. You add value all the time. Well, thank you. So. Mm-hmm. So where are we? Hold on. I'm, I'm catching up. So we, we heard all about your background. Where are we going next? Well, I was going to ask where you went from uh, Photoshop and how you became a product designer now. So I went to college um, at Ringling, where you went, um, and mm -hmm. went for graphic design. And at the time, it was mostly print. Um, it was also the one web class that we had was like Flash. Um, and I, at the time I actually did like all of my friends homework because nobody in the class knew how to make a website, um, because it was just something that they didn't do there at the time. And, um, I ended up getting my master's degree in motion media design, which meant I took a lot of flash classes, which is completely useless now, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> Put that on LinkedIn. Yeah, totally. I have like a basically a master's in action script and flash, which is fine. <laughs> um, AS3? Yeah, yep, yep. So um, after that, I went into print and um, I realized that I really, I love design, but I really missed writing code. Um, and so then I jumped into uh, an agency in Sarasota where I was kind of a hybrid, which was really cool because I got to design and then I also wrote the front end code of the websites I designed. Um, and that really is what got me into development. Um, and that was really fun and I loved it. Um, and I've been agencies for a couple of years, so six or seven years. And then I made the jump last year into product design, which is where I am now. Nice. Was that an easy jump? Um, it was. I was really um, excited to, um, to make the transition. As far as, I guess I shouldn't say it was easy because when, you, when I was applying for product jobs, um, I definitely had a little bit of a struggle because in the agency world, you wear a lot of hats, right? You, you become a marketing guru and you write code and you design digital assets and you also maybe sometimes you're making a, a print product or um, you know, you're making brochures or banners or all sorts of different things for all these different um, clients which is fun and really fast paced and exciting, but you definitely um, become somebody who, who, who knows a lot about a lot of different things. And I realized when I was making that jump that I had, didn't really have a focus. I was like, in my head, I thought, you know, I can do it all. That's really marketable. That's something that everyone wants, but that's actually not the case is what I ended up finding is that because I could do it all, um, I wasn't focused. And so 
once I realized that and I went through um, that kind of like self-reflection and realizing that I, I kind of had to pick something, um, you know, what was the thing that I was actually really passionate about? And it was user experience and um, product design. And, and so once I, you know, found my focus, then the jump was easy. Um, and I thought, I thought it was something that was um, kind of like, well, no, maybe that people, everybody knew this, but I didn't. And like, maybe nobody talked about it, but I thought it was really interesting because, um, because I really felt like I was super marketable doing all these different things. And that just wasn't the case. Um, yeah. And it, it's really interesting too, that you wrote a, you were compelled to, to do a t whole talk on this. You wrote a whole, um, uh, a whole conversation, if you will, on, on this topic. Yeah. And that, that's where we, we met you was at the front end design conference uh, last year, right? It was 2019. Yeah. Yep. Last year, last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, I thought it was really interesting because, um, once you're in agency design, I feel like you kind of, you're there and it just like eats you up and spits you out. Um, especially uh, agencies that have, you know, a high, their clients are um, kind of big names. And um, I was at an agency that had some pretty big names, you know, working, we had uh, Disney and, and Marvel and um, a lot of uh, sports places. And it was really cool and really exciting, but it's very high, you know, high energy and high paced and everything is, um, really moving fast. Um, and so the transition was very interesting, um, to go through. And I, and I went through it very quickly. Like I stopped and I picked it right up. And, um, when I started working for the company I'm at now, uh, doing product design, um, they threw me right in, um, designing, uh, of the product that we'll, we have. And it was really, um, exciting to focus on something. Um, instead of being pulled in a thousand different directions all day, every day, like you are at an agency, um, and really become an expert on the product that you're working on. I love that part of it. Yeah, well, because you feel like you have ownership of it. So you're, Absolutely. You, you know, you're, you're investing time, but you're emotionally, mm -hmm. on, on a certain level, you, you are emotionally investing yourself into yes. this product. And yep. you're having the, the chance to see it grow and, and, and bear fruit. It's, it's a really cool experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then with with agency life, it's just a lot of times you're talking to the PM, you're, you know, sometimes you don't even have that opportunity to speak with a client directly and get that kind of feedback that right. might be, uh, that might behoove you and mm -hmm. uh, inspire you to do something that might more align with their expectations. Yes. It's something um, I always wanted to work for a place that did design sprints. I think they're really valuable um, and maybe they're not perfect um, or maybe, you know, you find your own way of doing them. But being at a product company, I felt like I was actually able to, um, even if it's a modified version, you know, kind of sitting down with your, um, your people and with a whiteboard for hours, just like working through something and, um, you know, doing all of that research together. And you really don't have the time to do that at an agency because it is so turn and burn to get things done and to meet um, deadlines from a PM usually. So um, it's really been a wonderful experience working at a product company. I remember uh, we, we spoke earlier on the, the previous episode that, that we mentioned where we met at Front End Design Conference that we both worked at the same agency. And mm -hmm. um, coming from that agency life, not specifically that one, uh, right. but coming from an agency life, you kind of get like a, 
like the shakes, you know, almost like a PTSD kind of thing of where everything moves so fast. And then when you jump into more of a uh, traditional product design role, it's, it's, it's almost hard to slow down. At least that's the way I found it for the yes. first few years. Mm -hmm. Do you have I, that same experience? Absolutely. I think what was really interesting was um, giving, being given the opportunity to iterate on something. Um, because at an agency, it was kind of like once it was done, I wouldn't see it again, you know, or I, I wouldn't see it until there were changes that they needed to make or they wanted to update something. Um, but that having something final and just gone like it's gone. I don't see it anymore. Um, was a really different transition to being in a product company where I don't need to have everything perfect when I show, you know, my bosses because they want to work with it and iterate on it with me. And it's really, um, a great learning experience because, um, I think I tend to, everything has to be perfect. I'm a perfectionist. When I present something to someone, it's got to be exactly done and perfect and, uh, you know, in some sort of wonderful, beautiful, you know, uh, not PowerPoint, but keynote or something. And it doesn't have to be at a product company because we're all trying to make the best product together. Um, and I love that about it. What about you, Sarah? Do you have any experiences like that? Did you work at any agencies? I'm sure you did. I do. Sorry, I'm trying to see if the background noise has abated. Okay. It got really noisy in here. My dad's visiting from Boston and he likes to talk very loudly in a baby voice to my animals. Um, so mute. Um, but uh, it's, it's interesting because I think I can really relate. I've never really worked in an agency, but I have worked in places where I did a bit of everything, right? I did uh, the design and I did copywriting and then I did the front end implementation and then I would do the marketing website. And you could get pulled in many different directions. And I think um, even, you know, as recently as like three jobs ago, I worked at a place where I was dedicated to a product, but I also had to consult on others. Um, and that's what I felt like, right? I felt like a consultant. I never felt like I was dedicated to any one thing. And so I always compare it from like being a consultant to being an advisor. When you're an advisor, you're, you're, you're working and growing and, and you're understanding the product and the needs and, and all of these things versus just kind of this transactional relationship that consultants usually have, so. Yeah, that's interesting. So what kind of advice? That's interesting, not. <laughs> that was like, so he's like. Andrea, what do, you, what do you think that you could offer advice to people that have gone through this experience? Like oh, people that are like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to leave an agency. I do 12 different things. I got a top hat, uh, a feather in this cap. I got a, I got a trucker hat. Where do I go? I, I want to do something different. Um, I think it takes a lot of self-reflection um, and figuring out what you want to focus on and what you want, um, you, the way you want your career to go. Um, and I think for everyone, it would be different. You know, some people probably really love the, you know, the marketing website side of it. But maybe you want to be an in-house marketer, you know, or maybe you really love the front-end development side and you want to write a bunch of code and, and take somebody else's designs. And, um, and for, for me, it was the design side. I really just wanted to focus on that. And, but it took a lot of self-reflection to get to that point. Like I really still, to, you know, wanted to do everything. It took me 
months to realize that I couldn't do everything um, if I wanted to have a focus. Um, but the other side of that is I have a lot of hobbies that I take those other sides of me and I use my, you know, I use those skills in my hobbies, which I think is really important too. Um, it kind of helps with burnout and such um, to make sure that, you know, I'm still using those skills and I still get to be creative and I still get to write code and I still get to, you know, be a marketer um, on the side for fun just so that I can still, you know, kind of use those skills and keep going, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. Because I think, like for me, because I struggled for a long time doing everything, right? Because I, yes, I yeah. you know, I think Andrea and I are super similar in that we've been doing this, you know, since the dawn of the dinosaurs, <laughs> since before CSS was a thing, that could flash, you know. <laughs> so, but you kind of get, at least I found myself, and I can't speak for you, but I found myself wrapped up in the identity of this person that could do everything. Yep. And Absolutely. that was a big part of who I was. And for the longest time, I was a web developer. That was my identity because when you were a web developer, you did design, you did development, you did marketing, you did copywriting, and you were like this magician. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, if you didn't do JavaScript and understand databases and all of that, you were not a developer. Right. You, it changed. And it was just like all yeah. of a sudden I had an identity crisis of like, well, who am I? Right. Um, and the connotation was that if you're a designer, you were less than. Your job yeah. wasn't as important. You made things yeah. pretty. You put the lipstick on the pig, and that's what you did. You were the um, Photoshop person. Yes. And so it really is like it was like a death for me to let go it's of, hard. of that like full-time yeah. coding thing. And, you know, I can't say that I miss it much because I still do it so much, just like you, but, but it does take a little bit of like, I just kind of... Yeah. Self-reflection. Like you really yeah. have to like sit with it and realize that this is your new uh, reality. Um, but, but that doesn't mean you can't do it in other areas. Yeah. Well, it also made me realize that that wasn't my identity. Like I was holding on to like this right. weird right. sense of myself. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, it reminded me of like when I was a teenager and I had tons of piercings and I was like, I'll never get rid of these piercings. Like this is who I am. <laughs> like, yeah, like I'm going to go through life with 18 piercings in my face. Don't think so. But, you know, at the time, I was convinced that this was me forever. Um, so I just took a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I think you should go back. I think so, too. What? Why not? Maybe 19 piercings. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, you say then, like, because as, as Sarah pointed out, we, we all come from, like, the, the 1999 table days yes. um, where we try to round corners with images. What do you say about people now that are jumping into the industry is it do we find it easier for them to acclimate or to find a specialized skill and, and move into that career i feel like the um nowadays i feel like there's more defined roles um i think because we were all coming up when it was all still I mean, everyone was still figuring it out, right? The whole industry was trying to figure it out. Um, so there, we were defining the roles as we were doing them. Um, at one point, you know, I, at an agency, my job title was uh, not even designer developer. I don't remember what it was. It was something really weird that made no sense. Um, but at the time, we just didn't really know what the job titles were um, because we were all just kind of making it up as we went along. So I feel like now there's just a lot more defined roles and so it's 
I don't want to say it's easier to choose one, but at least um, the list of roles is easier to read. And there's less overlap, at least in my opinion. Sarah, how do you feel? I don't know. I, I do feel like there are definite tracks. Like I think mm -hmm. um, user experience design and user interface design and, and development. But I do find that there's definitely a spectrum um, of, of overlap. Like when I'm building teams, I'm always looking for where those overlaps are. So yeah. where the strengths and weaknesses are. So if someone understands a lot about research and wireframing and maybe they're, you know, they, they're really strong in that part, their high fidelity, their visual design isn't as good. And then I find someone that's really good at digital design and has some of that UI and that research, but, but not as deep. And then they can kind of overlap and help right. each other and complement one another. Um, but I do think that there's a need to be a specialist with some generalist knowledge. Like Absolutely. it's the breadth and the depth. Yes. You know, just having a couple of deep pockets. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I really like about being a designer now and having that development background is that I can talk to the developers or when I'm designing, I know what I can and can't do. Um, I think that um, if you don't have at least, you know, a tiny bit of, of knowledge of that or have, you know, some of those tools in your toolbox, um, it makes things difficult um, to communicate, you know, at the end of the day. Um, as a designer, it's my job to just communicate. I'm communicating to the user. I need to communicate to the developer. I need to communicate to everyone um, somehow. And that's really um, the best part about having that overlap, I think. That's interesting. Sarah, do you hire people that have, or when you're hiring, do you look for people that have some of those, um, you know, peripheral kind of skills, if you will? Like if you're hiring a developer, do you look for someone that has a little bit of design or if you're hiring a designer, do you look for them, someone that knows a little bit of development? It, it, it totally depends, right? For me, it depends on the teams that I already have in place. Like what am I looking to, what, what, what areas am I lacking on the team that I already have? What strengths do I already have? And kind of, it's almost like looking for a puzzle piece. Like does that person kind of fit in um, mm -hmm. with that? Can they help bring the team up and level us up to, to something um, that we can't be without that person? Um, it's definitely helpful. I think it's, it's always helpful, but um, I find that I, a lot of the people in design now never started out as designers. They didn't get a degree in design. They didn't like, you know, it's very rare that I, I, I talk with someone and they're like, I went to school for UX design and I'm a UX designer. And maybe that's just because it's such a, a new field. And so I'm just not quite old enough yet, but um, it's definitely um, one of those things. And I'm going to mute because that's really loud in the background. Can't hear it. So loud to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, to, to append to your point, Sarah, I know some designers that, you know, they started off just building websites for bands or web designer or product designers that built a monkey's website when they were a kid with their twin sister. It, 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 it all depends. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so why don't we jump into, um, and Andrea brought up uh, this point that we should probably talk about something that's very relevant, which is working remotely and, and the virus that that's, that's, you know, a, a pandemic. Yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting. I, the company I work for now is, um, 
we consider ourselves a part-time remote. Um, we have some people who are fully remote. Um, we have some people who love to go to the office every day. Our office, our developer office is based here in St. Pete. And a lot of us will go in in the morning, we'll have meetings, we'll do some sprints, um, we'll kind of catch up, chat, and then we'll go home for lunch and then work you know, on our tasks from there. Um, so we were already set up um, to be remote. And at this point, we're kind of going, um, I don't want to say fully remote. It's been recommended to be fully remote, um, but they're not saying that you can't go to the office. Um, but it's really interesting to see all of these companies, especially tech companies, going fully remote or, or testing it out, um, you know, so to speak. And you said your company is also going remote, right? Yeah, my company just sent out an email that they're, we're, we're going to go remote. And um, I know Sarah, speaking as someone that's been fully remote and working fully remote, do you have any tips for people that are, you know, maybe not accustomed to working fully remote that might have some, I don't know, adjustments to this? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been fully remote for, I think, five years. Wow. I don't know how, like I've been fully remote so long that it would take millions of dollars to convince me to go into an office again. You hear that? Millions. Just hint. Anyone <laughs> out there? I know. <laughs> but, sure someone will pay. Um, <laughs> I'm sure no one will. Um, but I have never personally really struggled. I've talked to people that have struggled. Um, I've talked to people that hate remote. Often when I kind of dig, um, in with people that hate remote, they weren't set up for success from the start. So they were in a company where maybe some people weren't remote. Um, and so you didn't have good communication already happening. Um, so I think one of the big things to remember about being remote is there can be um, an unconscious bias for anybody that is co-located. So even if everybody's remote, but you've got two or three employees in, in Tampa and two or three in San Francisco, those co-located uh, co employees can sometimes not realize that they're having conversations and they're making decisions that they're not communicating. So over-communication, I think, is really, really important. If that's something that you're worried about, you're kind of been thrown into this remote um, thing and you're not sure how to handle that and that worries you, think Think of ways that you can set up a single source of truth. Talk with your um, coworkers and explain that to them and say, hey, listen, I'm just worried that, you know, things will get lost and we won't have the ability to know what decisions were made and when and why. And some companies do it in Google Docs. Others do it in Jira tickets or issues. Slack. Slack. I don't recommend Slack. Personally, for me, Slack should always be an asynchronous tool. Um, it should be, you know, if, if I, I know if I get a Slack message from even my CEO, I don't need to jump on that. Um, that is just a message sent to me that I can get to when I'm online. So if it's, you know, 11 o'clock at night, I shouldn't feel the need to jump in and, and do that. So that's why I You think of it just like a, like an email, basically. Is that, that what you're getting at? Essentially. Yeah. 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 Because unfortunately what can happen is if you would, let's say you're not good at communicating asynchronously, right? You're not good at putting a comment in a document. It's not urgent. You ping that person and you let them get to it when they do, or you email them. If you're not good at that and you get to the habit of constantly slacking your coworkers, they're context switching constantly. They're not getting yes. any work done. 
So when you're, so that's what people have to understand about Slack is either you have to regulate yourself and put it to do not disturb or set yourself to, these are my boxed times that I have no meetings and I'm working. You really have to protect your time um, and make sure that you're communicating that to your team. Um, Those are some of my best practices that I think to me, they feel like very common sense, but again, I've been doing this for a really long time. Do you mind if I add to what you just said? Uh, no, go ahead. At least it made me think of uh, uh, something that probably with with the continuity that affects me a, a good amount of times is people that over message or just feel free to like message you whenever when it could be an email. Um, I'm not going to call out names, but if you're one of those people uh, to, again, to append to your point, Sarah, be mindful of other people's time. You know, if you have a, a, a question that's urgent, sure, that's that's when a text message is appropriate. But if you have something to where you're asking a question, a general task, something of that nature, that's when it's uh, more appropriate to be an email or, yeah. or something else, as, as Sarah put it. Yeah. And also, the, the, it, like, <laughs> be careful of what you say via uh, Slack um, because if let and I see this happen a lot with managers they don't realize they they are thinking in their mind oh I, I need to talk to so and so about this thing so they say hey and that's all they say if your manager sends you a message that just says hey like all of a sudden you're like what you know so be careful with that kind of stuff be like make make it full sentences that really explain what you're trying to you know, get to the point pretty quickly. Otherwise people may be freaking out and not really knowing what's going on and whether they're in trouble or, you know, um, speaking as an anxious, paranoid person. Like I'm always like, oh, what do I do? Oh my God. You know? So, um, be careful. Yeah. We're not, we're not having a, like a, a text message back and forth. We're not, yeah. it's not like a personal exchange between two buddies. This is, it's set in a work environment in a professional exactly. environment. So when you send that, Hey, like you said, I'd be like, yeah. Oh geez, what's what? what panic, yeah. yeah, yeah, panic. Like, oh my god, just yeah. <laughs> every time, every time, you know, over communicate, but also keep it, you know, concise and in a message. That makes sense. Yeah, you know, I to go to the opposite way of what you said, Sarah. I have a buddy. Actually, I think you might have touched on this too. But I have a I have a buddy, uh, not naming names, that he loves going into an office. And he's full remote. You know, he goes like he goes to their office every once in a while when they have like a thing or whatever. But like, he 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 loves to be in an office. Doesn't like remote. So um, for those people that do kind of thrive in an office environment, what do what do we say to those people? Besides, obviously, what we uh, just mentioned. What do we what do we say to those people to help them? kind of get more into the uh into the groove of this i, I don't want to talk over you Andrew. you are the guest so andrea <laughs> you go first um so it's interesting my um coworker on the ui ux team um especially we do spend a lot of time working together um so this is actually going to be the first time when we're kind of actually away from each other um and i'm excited um a little cautiously excited, I guess, um, to see how this goes because we do um, tend to sit in a room with a whiteboard and just like hash things out for like hours at a time. And, and we enjoy it and we enjoy each other's company and we, um, we have like a really good vibe together. And um, 
So for us, I think it is going to be a challenge um, just because we won't have that whiteboard in front of us. I have a feeling we're going to Zoom call a lot. We're going to spend our mornings on Zoom. And um, my one coworker happens to have a whiteboard at her house. So we're all going to just position our computers, you know, and look and watch while she whiteboards as we're chatting. Um, and I think that's going to be not quite the same as being in the same room, but um, I think it's going to be an interesting challenge that I am, like I said, cautiously excited to tackle. Yeah, that was what I was going to bring up is, is uh, we've done, I've done a lot of things with people that um, where, I mean, kind of it reminds me of being a teenager really long time ago, you know, ancient times um, when you had phones that didn't do text messages and like, you just like, what? you'd see your best friends, no, seriously, see your best friends, <laughs> you'd hang out after school and then at night you'd call each other and like, you would just hang out on the phone, but you wouldn't actually say anything. Yep. Just like knowing that, like knowing that person was there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Frederick kind of yeah, looks like. So mm-hmm. Doing this, but I remember doing this. Definitely did that. You can do the same thing. I'm older than you. I remember this stuff. You're not older than me. I don't think. Yes, I am. We'll talk. Yeah, we've had this conversation, but that's all right. Yeah. Maybe I'm just trying to get you to admit it publicly. (laughs) I think you are, yeah. But um, but yeah, you can do that with Zoom. You can do that with Slack. Um, There's lots of ways that you can do that. Just kind of hang out. Yeah, I just shared a tool. I don't know how to say this, but I just started using this tool. It's miro.com for. Uh, collaborating via whiteboards. It's pretty fun. Oh, Miro, I think. Miro, exactly. Like I said, I don't know how to say it correctly, yeah. but yeah, but it's cool. a it's a pretty cool tool. Cool tool, tongue twister for collaborating, uh, live collaboration in a whiteboard kind of setting. So, um, I, we'll put a link in the show notes to that. So that might be a something that someone could employ and find success with. Oh, we'll definitely try it. We'll try anything for sure. Yeah, I've been working on a big project lately using that, and it's been uh, really eye-opening. I, I didn't know about that uh, service before, and I love it now. Awesome. I'm excited to try it. Thank you yeah. for sharing. Yeah, very welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so any, any other advice for, I don't know, people staying safe, uh, specifically within uh, the workplace? Well, I think... Um, being that we are people who can work from home, I think, um, and I'm going to preface everything I'm going to say as I am not an expert on any of this. And I think none of us are right. Um, but, um, I think that we are, um, very privileged and that we can work from home. And I think that, um, doing so will just help the people who can't, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, can't work from home or they don't have sick time. And I think since we have the opportunity that's just one or two or three less people um, out there and I think that that's really important to kind of use our privilege of working at home um, to think about everybody else and kind of keep the masses you know safe um, do what we can right um, I don't know if again I'm not an expert but I think that that's something that to be considered yeah even though you know maybe none of us have a uh... I don't know, a a technical ability to speak on the subject uh, as an expert or or know know anything about it, really. Um, I I think there is value of, you know, hearing other people talk about it, just if if anything, to kind of spread the message, as you said, uh, to, you know, if you can work remote, 
do that to help alleviate the congestion of uh, absolutely of the population. Absolutely. Sarah? You got anything else on that, Sarah? No, I mean I think that that's perfect. Exactly what I would have said. Thanks, Sarah. You're welcome. <laughs> nice. Well, why don't we talk about something? We'll we'll end the show on something a little bit more fun, such as roller derby. Let's do it. I'll talk about roller derby for days. Nice. Well, good thing because we're scheduled for days. This is going on. <laughs> it's a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> so, fun fact, Sarah, are mm. you going to kill me if I say this? No, I will. Sarah play played roller derby too. <laughs> She did. We didn't meet in roller derby. We met in, in tech, but yep. she played roller derby too. I did. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm sorry. I got to first ask Sarah. Sarah, what was your roller derby name? Uh, it was Sarachka. Or Sriracha. 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 Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Sriracha. I can't even remember my roller derby name. That's how long ago it it's was. It's been a while. It's, it's been, been a while. while. It's been oh, a while. has it been more than several years? Maybe a decade? Uh, uh, 2015 is when I stopped. 2015, 2016, so five years. Mm. Um, but yeah, sriracha, but spelled like the hot sauce, like S A R R. My name, but like the hot sauce because I'm fiery. Oh, aren't you clever and punny? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I hate puns. Actually, it was simple, but I <laughs> did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you picked yeah, like yeah. the most punniest name you could have. <laughs> I know, but it's what you well, have to. It's, it's you have to. Like I mean, mine yeah. is not a pun at all, um, I, but yeah, I picked mine because um, I like to think that my aesthetic is Rob Zombie meets Martha Stewart, so like Zombelina is like a little bit of both. Um, it's kind of cutesy, but also it's got a zombie in it. So what got you into roller derby? So I was working um, at one of the agencies with um, the head trainer and she, she started way after I started working there, but she came in and she was like, I do this sport. Um, you should come and join because that's what roller derby people do is that they just kind of bring everyone into the cult. You know, they will recruit literally any person they can find. So um, she, you know, asked me to join and I, I went to here and I, I really didn't think I would do it. Um, I'm very, very small. I am not even five feet tall. So I just figured it wasn't really for me. And, um, then it just kind of sucks you in and you stick with it. And I am, I love it. It's a fun hobby. It gets me, um, it gets me away from the computer, um, which is good a couple times a week. It keeps me active, which I really like. Um, and now that it's, uh, it's evolved a lot since Sarah did it. Um, it's definitely more uh, strategy based than it used to be, which I really like because um, it kind of brings in that strategy side of my brain where like, I need to know uh, what's happening at all times and be hyper aware on the track. And um, it's really affected me um, personally, you know, as far as confidence and, um, you know, you kind of get 40 best friends when you join and whether you want them or not. And, um, and it's really hard to make friends as an adult. So it's really great to have a place to go where you have all these people that you never would have met otherwise. And um, for that, I'm really uh, most grateful is really the, the people aspect. I love that. Did you have the same experience, Sarah? Not exactly. <laughs> oh, hey, surprise. Um, so, uh, can't remember exactly how I got into roller derby, but I didn't know how to skate at the time. So, 
Yeah. So I went, um, I went, oh, I know it was a friend of mine. A friend in tech was like, exactly like, Hey, you know, you should come do this thing. Yep. And I've always really enjoyed, um, doing physical activities, weightlifting. Uh, I used to do like those races where you run and then you bike and then you run and then you bike. So I was like, Oh yeah, this sounds interesting. Um, so learned how to roller skate. Wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, never really mastered the backward skate. That I didn't quite, that one's a tough one. But, um, but the team I was on, let's just say we're up here in Pasco County. Um, it's a little rough and tumble up here. Not as much strategy, a lot more broken legs <laughs> um, and beer drinking. So I was actually going to transfer. I was going to go try out for Tampa because Tampa is, is a high performing team strategy yes. team. Um, and um, it was just a time in my life where I, I put more effort into my job and to, you know, furthering my career and that kind of fell away. I have no doubt that if I lived anywhere near you, Andrea, me and you would be on the same team. Oh, absolutely. I would still be playing roller derby. Absolutely. It's not that I don't want to. Yeah. I just want to like my legs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it just wasn't my kind of camaraderie. Let's just put it that way. Yes. I'm very, very lucky to be on a truly wonderful team full of really yeah. wonderful people. Yeah, um, we're an awesome team. Yeah, and we're super successful, and we've, we've gotten really good. Really, really oh, good. It's been good. No, no, we've gotten so much better than, since you've seen us. Um, and so, and I played for the Braden Tucky Bombers, which is just a really weird small team in – you know, Palmetto, Florida and Bradenton. Um, but we've gotten very good over the last couple of years and it's been really fun to be a part of and watch grow. I'm sad. I can't even like be a, uh, God, I can't remember what, what I'm, what I used to do there. You, what, you used to NSO, which is a non NSO. I almost said NFO. I'm like, <laughs> that doesn't sound right. Yeah. I used to NSO. Um, but, but yeah, I live way in the middle of nowhere. You live so far away. <laughs> I do. I do. Farmer Sarah. That's you bring up a, a really important point too about having something away that's uh, off screen, and yes. not not making work your your whole life, and having some way to recharge your batteries, and yeah. especially something as as so physical as this, where you could actually get some exercise, and you know, there, there's right. actual science behind that where that, that helps you feel good. You know, what do you, what do you, what could, would you tell people that are, that are looking for something like that? Well, I think it's really interesting. I think, um, I think all of us are at the age where like, uh, you know, in the middle of that, that older millennial where you were brought up to be, um, uh, workaholics and perfectionists. And then all of the, the younger generations are self-care and, you know, making sure that you make time for yourself. And, and so I in the beginning, I really struggled with the balance of the two, um, you know, because with, in tech, it's easy to work all night long, you know, you're attached to your computer at all times. And so having something where I can, I close the, the machine, I walk away and I put on some roller skates and I get to hit my friends um, really helps um, get out of my head, um, especially when I'm designing, you know, sometimes you just get stuck in your little bubble and it's hard to um, see the broader picture when you're designing something. And sometimes I walk away and I go and skate and it's just enough time for me to kind of rethink of a design in my head and come back and be like, I figured it out. You know, um, having that kind of 
safe place to do that is really helpful. And it, and it doesn't have to be an activity. Um, I think physical activity is really important. Um, I was never physical at all. I didn't play any sports. I didn't run. I didn't do any of those things um, until roller derby. And now like, I don't consider myself an athlete, but if you asked any of my teammates, they would be like, that's crazy. Cause you absolutely are. Um, and I think that having that kind of uh, a release, a physical, you know, place to go is really helpful um, to get out of your head and it helps with burnout. You know, we all get burned out. Right. And I think that having another, just even having a hobby outside of tech, you know, a way, even if it's something, my coworker's a painter and she's really good and really fun at it and she loves it. And it's fun to watch her talk about it. And, um, you know, one of my coworkers is a plant lady. She loves her plants. And, but that's great. She has this hobby that gets her away from the computer for a little bit. And I think everyone kind of needs that. Yeah. You need that mental health time to force yourself away from a screen and just be in actual reality, reality 1.0 and just experience life. It's hard to do that. It's really hard to shut it off. Um, But now after all these years, I, I can do it and I, and it's, and I'm better for it. You know, we should probably explain to people, not that I'm going to be the one to uh, be able to fil- facilitate this. What, what is roller derby? Oh. What are the rules? What, what is it? I think okay. some people might just think it's, you know, uh, a group of people skating around, hitting each other. Well, uh, and at, at its core, it is. Um, and so it's two teams. There's uh, five skaters on the track from each team. Um, and you're skating in an oval. And um, you have four blockers on each team and one jammer. And the jammer is the point scorer. Uh, the jammer wears a star on their helmet. Um, so that's how you kind of distinguish, you know, when, the, when you're watching. Always watch the star. That's the most important um, if you don't know what's kind of going on. And their goal is to pass as many opposing players as possible. So um, they get through once. After that, every single opposing person they pass is a point. Um, and so you can have some higher you know, point games. If, if you've got a jammer who can just get around and do laps, they're getting four points every single time they go around. Um, sometimes it's harder and you're lucky to get one or two points on a jam. Each jam is two minutes and the, the jammer who gets through first is the lead jammer and they can um, control the jam essentially. And that's a strategy part of it. You always want to try and get lead jammer because if you have lead jammer, um, you can make sure that the other jammer doesn't score any points. And um, that's a big part of the strategy, especially at higher level derby in a nutshell. Yeah, that sounds actually very complicated. Uh, I imagine, as you said, there's a lot of different ways you could play it as far as just, you know, brute force or uh, initiate some kind of playbook strategy where, you know, you have all these different plays not that I know anything about football and plays, but that where you initiate all these plays to 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 get that jammer through. Absolutely. How how big is the actual uh, circumference? Like, how, what what's the distance we're talking about? Um, I mean, it's fairly large. We play in the dry rink of an ice rink. So imagine a hockey rink. We fit um, comfortably inside of a hockey rink with um, enough room for refs to skate around the outside and to have a bench. So it's fairly large. It's not a small circle. Um, it takes, if you're skating very fast, it takes between seven and 10 seconds to skate around once. Um, that's with nobody on the track with you. Um, so it's a very physical game. Um, 
but it's very different than when Sarah played because it's gotten a lot less uh, big fancy hits and more uh, holding and grinding and, um, you know, kind of just pushing your way through with, with all of your strength um, and your lower body and your core and everything. Um, it's, some people don't find it as exciting to watch just because they want to see, you know, skaters just flying off into the stands, you know, on every turn. Um, but it's more fun to play this way, in my opinion. I would honestly say I don't think that it's – I mean, because I, I still watch the championships. And, Do and, you? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's the same. I mean, that was happening then. I yeah. think that the differences on in the lower leagues um, – with people that are, are less athletic, it was much more about the hitting and, and the yes. posturing. I think yeah. it's at the, at the higher level. I mean, and I highly suggest Frederick that you, you just watch like a couple of the championship games. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. Can you um, add a link to the show notes? Uh, yes, yeah. I will. I will do that. Um, but oh, if you sorry can, to interrupt, but uh, could you also add a link to your, uh, your team in the show notes too? So we could provide that for people. Absolutely. Yay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, I mean, the level of strategy and skill I think has always been there. I think that it started to trickle down to the lower leagues. Yes, a little bit absolutely. More, especially yeah. as the lower leagues experience more broken ankles and yeah. more broken legs. Um, yes. There were three broken legs on my team when I was like, that's it, I'm out. Um, because I saw things that weren't, weren't appropriate, people put, being put in the rink that shouldn't be, um, including myself, I was being pushed to go in right. and play when I didn't feel I was ready, that I needed more training, that I needed more time to right. be competent. Um, and that's when people get hurt. And so that really was something, and Andrea and I talked about this ad nauseum at that time where I was like, it's not safe and I'm not going to do it. So, um, but yeah. Do you but think that's just because that people wanted, go sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Do you, do you think that's just because uh, at, at the time, the nature of the game, people wanted to see that kind of stuff? Like they wanted to, to see more of the brutal kind of thing? Is that Was that what the audience was expecting or someone had that in their head that the audience was expecting? I think it's, te- I think it's more about the team. Um, my team won't put people out that's, that aren't ready. Um, and if you're feeling um, even a little bit like, you know what, my hamstring, I pulled it. It's feeling a little weird. I don't feel comfortable going out. They're never going to pressure you to do that. We have other skaters um, that can go in for you. Um, we, some of our trainers are um, uh, definitely have like backgrounds in uh, athletic science. I, there's a real name for it. It is not athletic science, but it's something like that where she's, yeah, she, uh, She's really good at that. And she's very much like, if you don't feel ready or capable, you are not going out there because no one is going to get hurt because you're out there. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, we do a lot of double headers now. So we have our charter team, which is our high level team. And then we have our, our B team, which is um, kind of like a rec, our rec team. And we actually had one on Saturday and the charter game was first and it was way slower and controlled. And then the B team, because it is newer skaters, um, there's a little bit more of those kind of exciting hits. Um, so you get a little bit of both when you come to our games, um, especially when we have a double header. Um, and it's, it's fun to watch like the older crowd who are like, I used to watch roller derby in the seventies when I was a kid, um, come out and, and really enjoy, um, what it is now. Um, I think it's, it's more, um, it's definitely more athletic. It's definitely more, um, slower, but in, in the best way possible. And, um, 
you can tell when you're watching it that these people are truly just athletes. They have to be to do what they're doing. Yeah, it sounds like a really cool sport. And you're, I mean, from everything you're describing to me, I would also agree with your teammates that you're definitely an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your endurance, the endurance is the big thing, you know, even though it's only you're out there for two minutes and you get maybe, a, you know, a two minute break, those two minutes are, you're going 150% every single time. Um, and some of our skaters was really, really cool. My favorite part is like the people who come in and they've done something like one of my skaters, um, she was an on point ballerina for 11 years. So she, we make fun of her that she can't skate. She just basically just runs on her toe stops the entire time. And she just jumps over everyone. And the pictures and the video of her jumping is, it's remarkable. It's like mm. nothing I've ever seen. And, um, you know, girls that come in and they were like, grew up being figure skaters and they come in and they're amazing. Um, but at the end of the day, we're just like a bunch of weird adults that want to hang out and play a sport together um, because it is an amateur sport. You know, this is definitely not a professional thing that we're doing. So. Well, I think just like you said, like uh, having something that forces you to get off screen and recharge, but also um, the added value of getting to have some social time and hang out with some adults, you know, yep. that's fun too. Yeah. Very absolutely. healthy. Well, we're getting to the end of the show and we've got just two more questions for you. Uh, first off, what's the best way people could find out more about you? Where do you want them to go? Um, I am not great at Twitter. Um, I, it actually is like something that, you know, is a little anxiety inducing Twitter, but um, I'm on Instagram. Um, that's probably the best place, but you can also find me on Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, you know, I have a and, website. And, uh, and, and sorry, the domain name and Twitter handle and Instagram. Uh, so my Twitter is uh, A-C-A-N-N-I-S-T. Um, and so is my Instagram. Um, and my website is andreaknister.com. Nice. And we'll put links to those in the show notes. And uh, final, final question. Uh, Want to give you uh, an opportunity to... Uh, give some parting words, any, any words of wisdom you want to provide to the audience? So as a designer, the one thing I've always lived by is um, kind of is going rogue. Whenever I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know where my design is going, I always go rogue. I just do something totally different, something really weird. Maybe it's something that I know that I would like, but the client wouldn't. And it always gets me out of my head. Um, I, I like to kind of live by the motto of you can always take away, but you, it's harder to add back in. Um, it's that Coco Chanel quote that I can never actually remember the quote, but it's like, you, you know, always take off an accessory before you leave the house kind of thing. And I think, um, you know, every, whenever I design, it's better to go too far and it's better to take away than it is to add. That's cool. I like that. Sarah, you have anything else? No, I'm good. All right, cool. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. I know it's been a long time since we talked, and it was really great to catch up with you. Um, yeah. Sorry I had to be under the circumstance of what's what's uh, going on, you know, uh, in, in the world situation right now. But it's been uh, great catching up and loved hearing your story and everything about the Derby, too. That was cool. <laughs> thank you thank you for having me and it's great i mean sarah and i have been friends for a very long time so we just haven't seen each other in a while it's great oh that's cool
Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that Sarah was actually on that episode uh, with us. Yes. I crashed it, actually. She crashed it. Yeah, yeah, that's where. Here, let me grab this book from my bookshelf. That's where I got the book from Sarah. It's called Building Design Systems. Yep. Oh, yeah. God. Sarah, do you want to tell everybody about this book that you co wrote with Tori? Yeah, uh, it's a book all about uh, getting started on your first design system, understanding how to uh, build one, inventory one. Um, why you need one and why you might not need one. So, and what's the what's the website someone could go to to find out more about this? Uh, Amazon. That's the you, best. You place. also have a domain name. <laughs> no, domain. I don't. I killed. I killed it. You go killed the domain. Amazon. I killed it. Go to Amazon. Ooh, go Amazon. So buy the book. Anyway, I don't know why I brought that up. So, <laughs> thanks again. Really appreciate it. And thanks everyone for watching. We'll see you next time. Yeah, Take care, all. Thanks for consuming the Thunder Nerds. We honestly and sincerely appreciate you watching and or listening to the show. Please subscribe on YouTube and iTunes. Write us review, keep a few stars our way. And above all else, please remember to send your favorite book suggestions to Brian Hinton. I, I like romance novels. They have happy endings. Oh man, I am rude. I am, I am rude. <laughs> I guess no one's watching me. That's shocking. <laughs> exactly. I love Frederick. I love Frederick. I love Frederick. I love Frederick. I should have known the Terrator didn't mean us any harm when the Sword of Omens didn't obey me. And anyway, it was just plain stupid to assume it might be bad. Just what the <laughs> fuck am I talking about?